Thank you. You're in Daniel chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. What do you do when your boss calls you and talks to you about a new product that's come out? And this product could change the company, change your pay salary, make you and him both successful. The only catch is there's some, a few little tweaks to the sales pitch, some, oh, I don't know, he'll call them maybe white lies, but they're lies. But he says, listen, if you can't do this, you're going to lose your job. What do you do when something like that happens? What do you do when your spouse who you walk down the aisle with and said, I do, says, I don't love you anymore? And I have met someone else, and I love them. What do you do when the phone rings and tragedy strikes? And someone you love is taken away from you. A child, friend, someone you're very close to. What do you do in those situations? What do you do when your son or daughter breaks your heart and rejects everything that you taught them and leaves the faith and walks away from everything that you brought them up in In that moment, what do you do when your faith is in the fire? The title of our message this morning, Daniel chapter 3, Are You Ready to Stand for Christ? What we're going to see in this story is that there were three men who said either way, good or bad, We're ready. We're going to take Daniel chapter 3, another story in the book of Daniel. And we're going to break it down, verse by verse, before we get started. What we've been doing throughout this series is is taking portions of the chapter and and, and giving them some sort of a title, some sort of a... Last week we talked about scenes of a movie. Today we're going to talk about pictures, if you will. Snapshots. So let's get right into the message and look at that very first snapshot, that very first picture that summarizes the story of Daniel chapter 3. Picture number one is this, a golden image. And that golden image is a picture of idolatry. Look, if you would please, here at Daniel chapter 3, and let's begin reading in verse number 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he made an image of gold. Here's that image, a golden image. And this image, some have said, was an image of Nebuchadnezzar. We have no reason to believe that. There's no history that tells us that's true. It could have been true. It probably wasn't because the Bible doesn't tell us. And I think it would tell us if it was an actual image of him. But we know this. It was an image of gold. It was a large image. In fact, Scripture tells us it was three score cubits in its height, which means it was 60 feet tall. And it was six cubits at its breadth, which means it would have been nine feet wide. He set it up in the plain of Dura. Dura would be today modern-day Baghdad. And you know, because Baghdad, Iraq is in the news so much, it makes this story even more real to me. So here this image is in Baghdad, Iraq. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together, verse 2, the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and the rulers of the provinces... 
All of these really big shots, you know. Everybody's called to come to the image. Everyone is called to hear the announcement. All of the big people in, the, in, in society, all of, the, all of the just regular citizens are come. And the Bible says they're come to what's called a dedication service. We're going to dedicate this image. We're going to take and all meet, if you will, not at the pole Wednesday at 7 to pray. We're going to meet at the image to worship an idol. Same thing. Just a different worship. And so here they meet at this image in Baghdad, Iraq, and they are going to worship this image, the king says, or else. Verse 3, the king repeats the same thing he says in verse 2. All of these different peoples, as if to say in Scripture here, that the repetition is to help us to understand the seriousness of the matter, that this is not just some little kid's story that we like to tell and laugh a little and joke a little in a good way, in a fun way, because this is such a cute little story. It is everything but a cute little story. Everything but that. And today it's going to be really hard to make it that because it is so intense. And these men come together, all these from, they gather together, verse 3, the last part of the verse, again, to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here they are standing. Can you picture a crowd of tens of thousands of people standing before this uh, 60-foot golden image? And then the Bible introduces us to a, a herald. It doesn't tell us who he was. It just says he was someone who was appointed to make the announcement. And when the herald made the announcement, he made it in a very serious, very loud way. The Bible actually says he cried aloud. And he said this, To you, it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, all kinds of music, that you fall down and worship the golden image which the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how serious he must have been? Can you imagine this was not a matter of, hey, are you going to be sincere or not? You better be sincere. You better be serious or else you die. I want you to see the picture, the second picture. The second picture, I'm going to describe it as this. A green-eyed monster. Because that's exactly what jealousy is. It's a green-eyed monster in our lives, a picture of jealousy. Notice in verse number 7, all of a sudden at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, the language, everybody fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Notice this green-eyed monster appears. Wherefore, verse 9, at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. And here's what they said. Remember, the Jews had been promoted. Are you, are you with me? These, these, these three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had been promoted in verse number 19 of chapter number 1. Remember, they were ten times better. Was anybody here a couple of Sundays ago? These dudes were on 
fire. They were popular. They had been promoted in the kingdom, the positions of, of authority. These guys were in close with the king. And so the Chaldeans, the, the magicians, the soothsayers, the, the leaders who had lost all their credibility are jealous. And so they come and they spake to the king and they start off with a little king worship in verse 9. Oh, king, live forever. I guess that's what you say to the king back then. Thou, O king, hast made a decree. And king, I'm here to remind you what you said. You said, king, that every man that hears the sound of the corn, the flute, the fault, the salt, but the psaltery and dulcimer and all kinds of music, you said, king, that he's got to fall down and worship the golden image. And king, you said that whoso falleth not down and worships, he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. King, that's what you said. Now, here's a picture of jealousy. There are certain Jews. King, we got a problem. There are three guys that are not doing that. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over. King, you've put them in positions of leadership. You've promoted these three yahoos, king. You've given them places of authority. These are the three I'm talking about, king. You set them over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But king, these men have not regarded thee. They have disrespected you. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Picture number three. We're going to see a red-faced king or a picture of insanity. The king again loses his mind in rage and fury, verse 13 He commands to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and says directly to these men, Is it true? Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods? Are you not worshiping the golden image? The 60-foot image that I set up in, in Baghdad? Is it true that you're not worshiping that? I'll tell you what, guys. I'll give you one more chance. And so he says in verse 15, Now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the corn, the flute, the harp, the sack, but the psaltery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I've made, everything will be fine. We'll call this just a little bit of a mishap. But if you don't worship, I'm going to cast into the midst of a burning fire furnace, and I'm not going to take very long to do it. In fact, he goes as far as to say, in one hour, within one hour, you guys will burn. And then he says a very arrogant statement. (laughs) And who is that God that shall deliver you from the burning fire furniture from out of my hands? Picture number three. Notice beginning in verse number 16 that there were three men. We're going to call them a steel-eyed trio, a picture of integrity. Just three. Can you imagine in a crowd like this, just three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Interpretation, we do not need to defend ourselves, king. We don't need to defend ourselves. We don't even need to take the time to give you this answer. Because if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. Notice what the king said in verse 15. Remember the last, who is that God that shall deliver you? 
Oh, listen, King, let me tell you who that God is. He is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. But even if he doesn't, King, be it known. Listen up, sir. We will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Hey, King, in other words, if it's deny or die, we're going to go the die route. If that's our two options, we choose die. All right, picture number five. Beginning in verse 19, I want you to see a picture of the fiery furnace, which is a picture of intensity. Verse 19, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. And the form of his visage or his, the countenance on his face would be a, a little better interpretation for our day. The countenance on his face was char- changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should hear the, uh, rather heat the furnace one seven times more than it was to be heated. Seven times more. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army. The most mighty men. Shadrach, uh, rather King uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, we better get the Navy SEALs to to bind these guys. These boys are gutsy. And so I want you to take the best we've got, the strongest we've got. I want everybody you choose to look like J.J. Watt. You ever seen that guy for the Houston Texans, that defensive end? Dude, that guy is intimidating. And he's a good guy. He wouldn't have been in this story. He seemed like a good guy. I want them to be big and strong because we got these three guys and they're, they seem to be somewhat dangerous. Get the mightiest of the mighty and go get them and turn the fire up seven times hotter and throw them in. This guy has lost his mind. Notice verse 21. Then these men, I have these men underlined and I just want to make sure I know who they are in verse 21. They are not the Navy SEAL dudes. These are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're bound in their coats, their hoses, their hats, their garments. I mean, all their clothes. They, they, they came in all the regalia, and, and they're taken in all their regalia. No time is wasted. They have no time. They are, they are taken, and the Bible says they are cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Look at verse 22. I, I, I kind of feel bad that I like this verse. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew the Navy SEALs. The big dudes that were, they're gone. End of the story. They're dead. The fire was so hot, when they got to the door and opened it, it, as they were throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, it killed them. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace picture number six let's watch and see a sovereign god a picture of deity then nebuchadnezzar the king was blown away shocked astonished he could not believe his eyes he is sitting up with all of his you know servants fanning him giving him his little black olives and caviar, and he's sitting back watching this take place. He's probably a little alarmed that his Navy SEALs are dead. You know, his big guys, are. he's probably, ooh, that was hot. I'm sure this is going to be ugly. And so they throw him in, and immediately as they're thrown in, immediately 
He knows something is wrong. He knows something's wrong. And the king was astonished, and he rose up. He jumps up in haste, and he says to his counselors, Gentlemen, did we not cast three men into the midst of, of, the, of the fire? Yes, king. Three men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The three guys that would not bow down to your 60-foot golden image. Yeah, we threw those three are in the fire. That's what I was afraid of. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fire furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Could I stop right there in the midst of the story before we finish that text? And could I say a word about several miracles that are going on here? Don't miss this. I think one of the miracles that are going on here, and it seems to be smaller than the one I'm going to mention second, the first miracle that I'm, I think is worth acknowledging is the fact that they are no longer tied up and they're not dead. They are in the fire, they are not bound anymore, and they're not dead. But it might be a greater miracle that they are in the fire, they are not tied, they are not dead, and they are not alone. Can you imagine the conversation? Shadrach speaks first, maybe, and says, Guys, man, this is so cool. We can walk around this place. And Meshach says, wait a minute, are you? We're supposed to be dead. We're not dead. This is incredible. And Abednego says, guys, we're not tied up and we're not dead, but we're not alone either. Who are you? I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God. In about 2,500 years, I'm going to come on earth and die for your sins and the sins of all mankind. But I just thought I'd come a little early to visit you guys. Thanks for standing for me. I want to stand for you. Oh, my God. He will not delay my refuge and strength always. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through always, always. Here he is. In the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus Christ has always existed, and he always will exist. For John chapter 1, in verse number 1, says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, And the Word was made flesh, as Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the fall of full of grace and truth. Now the rest of the passage, and we'll move on to our thoughts. Verse 26, verse 27, the princes and governors and captains and the king's counselors began, are being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire that had passed on them. So Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, bless you. 
Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, Nebuchadnezzar said, I make a decree. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not putting too much stock in Nebuchadnezzar's decrees. But he made it, nevertheless, that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. And then the king promoted again Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Five things to learn and apply from this passage. Let's learn these five things together, shall we? Number one, the first lesson is this, that if your faith is real, then your future is certain, and you must understand that conflict is inevitable. The key word is conflict. If your faith is real, then your future is certain. Listen to me, the greatest proof of a true believer, of an authentic Christian... It's conflict, it's trouble, is persecution. I don't think any of us in this room would deny the fact that these guys truly believed in God, that their faith was real. These guys were the real deal. But the striking thing in this story is this, that there were thousands of people that came into captivity. Thousands were in captivity, but all we ever really hear of that truly were Christians and stood for Christ were four. Four, that's it. It seemed as if only four had real faith. I wonder if we're fooling ourselves and thinking that because we come to a church, sit within the four walls of this building, and on Sundays call ourselves Christians, if we think that makes us one. The truth of the matter is, is that if your faith is real, then you know what conflict and what persecution and what trials and what standing for Christ is all about or you will know soon remember they were living in a very hostile environment they refused to compromise so conflict was inevitable it was inevitable and i want to say something we are not very far from that please church hear my voice i'm telling you the truth Please don't ever say that your preacher did not tell you the whole truth and about the last days and about perilous times coming. We're living in those perilous times. Persecution is coming to America. It's already here in some ways. Brothers and sisters of ours all across this world are laying down their lives for Jesus Christ. And for you and I to think that we are somehow going to be excluded from that, it's just a matter of time for us. You see, you understand this if you're a true believer. Psalm 119, verse 19. I am a stranger in the earth. If you're super comfortable down here, if you really love this world and love the things of this world, and you consider success a bigger house, a bigger car, and a better vacation, you're missing it, bro. You're missing it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. I'm simply saying... That is not we are, what we are to be attached to. We're strangers in this earth. This world is not our home. Do you ever have to stand for, for your faith? Have you ever had to? Do you ever have to? Think about what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. It's an incredible verse. It says, yay, and all, 100% of believers, 
100% of authentic Christians who are really saved will suffer persecution. Not just some, not half, not a few, not the, not the ones that just didn't get so lucky. All of us who live godly in Christ Jesus will, shall suffer persecution. And so therefore, Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 4.12. He said, beloved, listen, don't be shocked when the fiery trial comes to you. As though some strange thing happened. I just can't believe this is happening to me. I'm so shocked. I'm a Christian. I thought God loved me. Don't think it's strange. Concerning the fiery trial. Which is going to try you. Listen, if you're persecuted, that is proof that you know him. It's proof. I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have avoided this. I don't think this is something they could have hid from. I don't think it's something they could have just dodged. I think it was inevitable. It was just a matter of time. And if your faith is real, conflict is on the way. Number two. And before I give you this second thought, I want you to think about this for just a minute. Would you not agree with me that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were super blessed? They were ten times better. They were promoted and promoted and promoted. And you might wonder, and I might wonder, and some people might wonder, do these guys really love God because God is blessing them? Or do they really love God no matter what? You could have thought that. You really could have. I could have. Sometimes we wonder that, don't we? Well, yeah, it's easy to love God. Look, look at all they've got. Look at how blessed they are. Look at all their, look at America. You know, it's easy to go to church there. They've got all these things and nice churches and air conditioning and, and, and all. Oh, well, it's easy to love God there. But I'm going to tell you something. And this is number two. When your upside goes downside, your inside will come outside. You find out where people are at spiritually when things go bad. The confirmation of your faith is when good times become bad times. The confirmation of your faith is when your upside goes downside. The confirmation of your faith, the test of your faith, whether you're spiritual or not, will be tested when things go bad. You see, anyone can follow Christ when things are going good. But what about when things are not going so good? Give me that next screen, uh, Ken, to find out where people are at spiritually. You find out when things get bad. This is what happened to these guys. This is exactly what happened to these guys. Trials come in seasons. I don't know about you, but as I watch other Christians being persecuted around the world, as I watch men uh, kneeling on beaches and getting their heads chopped off, as I watch people in other places going into cages and getting burned to death, as I watch other Christians standing for their faith, saying they will not deny Jesus. I just showed a friend of mine a picture of a little girl in Somalia who holds up, 13 years old, who holds up two nubs because she would not deny Christ, so they cut her hands off and everybody else in that village who would, uh, who, who would not deny Christ. I mean, this is happening all over, and I'm going to tell you what I'm doing right now. If this will help you, praise the Lord. But I'm asking myself this question. Am I ready for that? Could I handle that? You must ask yourself this question. How would you react to that? If someone threatened physical harm to you, If someone told me to stop preaching God's word or go to prison, if someone held a gun to my head and said, 
regarding Christ, deny or die. Did you know that much of the New Testament was written to people that were put in that position? The majority of the New Testament that you love and I love was written by people who were put in that position. Deny or die. But you know what I like and I know to be true? Persecution purifies and empowers the church. Persecution purifies and empowers the church. I believe the greatest days of the church lie ahead of God's people will awake from their sleep. Number, th- number three. Well, let me give you these three things real quick. I'm sorry. I've got three more things under that. And you know what? When I forget to give notes, I always get tons of emails. Preacher, what are the three words left? you left out of the outline? So let me give you these. In, the, in this room, there's three kinds of people. It's pretty simple. First of all, there's those who have not made Jesus their Savior and are not following him. These are folks that have never truly been saved, and they know it, and, and they're not following Christ, and maybe you're here today, and I want to invite you to trust Christ and follow Christ. That's what Gospelite's all about, trying to identify non-believers and introduce them to Jesus Christ and his freedom and his forgiveness. It's amazing. I met Jesus Christ September the 1st, 1978. I became a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing. The second two types of, the second and third type of people are both what I would call professors. They profess something. The, the first of the, the, well, the second type of person, but the first of the two professors are, are, are those who profess to be a believer in Christ and they are following Christ. They're genuine. They're following Christ. They're standing for Christ. They're, they're speaking up for Christ. But the third is professors as well. They profess to be a believer They say that they know him, but they don't really know him. The Bible describes these as the wheat and the tares. In Scripture, the Bible describes these as being either genuine believers or those who just have a good talk. They know how to talk it, but they're not genuine. That's why Matthew says in chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, these very hard words to hear many will say to me in that day lord lord have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful haven't we talked god we've done we've done all this and then all of a sudden jesus says here's what i say to those people i say i never knew you i never knew you depart from me ye worker of iniquity because you see When the up goes down, the in goes out. What's in goes out. Church, I'm going to tell you, I believe with all of my heart that we're finding today that many so-called churchgoers and people who have talked religion, we're finding today in these days of persecution, these days of trial, these days where we're having to stand for Christ or deny Christ, who the real believers are. And I don't think this is a popular message, and I expect us to have a few less people next week, but here's the thing. I'm going to sleep good because I know I told you the truth. And I'd rather preach the truth than not compromise. And you see, a lot of preachers today, this this is not popular, so we don't want to preach it. 
We want to make sure everybody feels good when they walk out. And everybody, you know, everybody, hey, you don't want to come to a church where you're challenged. You want to come to a church where you're comfortable. The truth of the matter is, is I wouldn't be preaching the whole counsel of God if all I did was comfort you every time we got together. We're com- I'm comforting you prayerfully by telling you the truth. Maybe that's what scripture means when it says, he who endures to the end will be saved. I'm not sure I understand that totally. I'm still working on that. Please forgive me. I, that's a tough one, I think, for everybody. What does it mean? He who endures to the end shall be saved. But I'm wondering if it simply means that he who believes and stands and doesn't deny Christ just stays faithful to the end are the ones that are truly saved. Number three, and we're going to draw this conclusion from verse 17. Here's the third lesson that we can learn that God is able but he is not obligated you see this is where the confusion sets in in verse number 17 the key words confusion there in verse 17 here it says if it be so our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us God will do it but if he doesn't do it if God doesn't deliver us if we die you see God is able but God is not obligated So don't develop wrong expectations in regard to how God should work. God is able, yes, but he's not obligated. And therefore, we have confusion sometimes in this matter where people are saying, I just don't understand. God can heal my wife, so he's got to heal my wife. God can get me a job, so I'm going to wait till God gives me a job. He's got to do it because he said he would. God can save my dad, so why is it taking so long? God can keep us safe, so why isn't God doing it? God said he would do it. God's got to do it. And what we do is we reduce God to our image. To say that God is not loving unless he does the things that you want him to do is to reduce God to your own image. I think there's some things these men learned that we need to learn. The first thing they learned was they recognized that God's will might be different than our own. God's plans might be different than our own plans. It would not have been my will to give our family uh, a special needs child I mean who would will that on anybody but God God might say this is going to be awesome I'm going to do this they're not going to understand it but I hope the capaces don't just (laughs) I want to see if the capaces stand I hate cancer don't you hate cancer I hate it hate the word but I know this It has been the will of God. He has allowed for some people in our congregation to fight it and to go through it. You see, Kim Moore sits here, just happened to look at Kim. Cancer, physically speaking, claimed Kim's wife and took her to heaven. And all of us sitting here today with our spouses, notice he's not. But he's still sitting here. Because he he knows God has been with him in the fire. You see, your faith's going to be tested. And they were willing, number two, to have it it so without complaining. He he might, but he might not. He might deliver us, but he might not deliver us. It, It might work out, but it might not work out. He might heal us, but he might not heal us. But that's okay. It's okay. I'm willing to have it without complaining. And then number three, 
They did not make their own obedience contingent upon getting what they wanted. They found God himself as the object of their affection and not what he did for them. See, some people, the object of their affection is what God does for me. But that's, you're missing it. The object of your affection ought to be God himself in all of his glory. And listen, when we sang that song, Oceans, a moment ago, where feet may fail, I'm thinking, listen, there's been times in my life where I know that I have either let God down, and there's been times where I've been confused, there's been times in my life where I've not understood what God is doing, but I know this, he's sovereign, and he's in control, and he's good, and he's God, and he's awesome. Are you with me today? Number four. The fourth lesson we can learn is this. Stand for Jesus and Jesus will stand for you. Stand for Jesus and Jesus will stand for you. And the key word there is confidence. And we see a great lesson in in this with uh, the first martyr named Stephen in the New Testament. Remember Stephen? He was the first deacon. He was preaching the gospel. They took Stephen for preaching the gospel and they began to stone him to death. Do you remember this? And as they're stoning him, the Bible says what? In Acts chapter 7 and verse 55, it says he looked up. And here's what he saw. Full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Not a trick question. What does Jesus do? He, he, where is Jesus? He sits at the right hand of the Father, right? That's what I was asking. Right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. But what is he doing in this verse? I literally believe that Jesus was sitting, but when he saw Stephen standing, I don't know how it happened, but can I just tell you how it might have happened? Father, if you don't mind, I'm going to stand for a while. One of my servants down there standing for me, I'd like to stand for him. The Bible says that Jesus stood at the right hand of God, and Stephen saw that. He got a glimpse of Jesus standing for him because Stephen stood for God. Oh, let me challenge you, church. If we stand for Christ, he will support us. I thought about these words to the song where we sang, my foes are many, they rise against me, but I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. I will not fear cancer. I will not fear the fire furnace. My help is on the way. I lift my eyes up. Stephen knows this. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord who's standing for me as I stand for him. Think about this with me, church. If God knew he was going to deliver them, then why did he let them go through it? Why not just deliver them? Why make them go through all of that trial and struggle and even potential pain if God knew he was going to deliver them? You ever thought about that? Put yourself in their shoes. They did not know the Lord was going to deliver them. We have the advantage. We know the end of the story. They did not. They did not know. So I thought of a couple of things that maybe we can learn today. First of all, by allowing deliverance to tarry, the impact upon the observers was greater than it would have been. In other words, by by waiting To deliver them, Nebuchadnezzar and and all those others said, wow, what a God. I mean, these guys were in the furnace and they they weren't killed. This is amazing. 
and the witness they had and the effect of what they did, the impact upon those, the greater glory went to God. And then secondly, because God allowed these three friends to be delivered from a greater trial, the impact on them was greater. Think about the fact that as you look back over your life and see how God has worked, hasn't it built your faith? Isn't it amazing sometimes when God comes through, what that does for you as you continue to live for him? Church, we've got to look back as persecution comes and see that God has always been there. God has never let us down. God answers prayers. God is all-powerful. He's omniscient. He is a great God. You know, it's a silly thing happened to us this week that Matt and I, this is so silly. It made, I almost feel silly saying it, but it was so awesome because it just built my faith and it increased my faith. But this week I was driving the girls to Little Rock on Thursday for their volleyball game. And I took the big diesel bus. We've got it's an awesome diesel bus. I actually like it better than I do the travel bus. I just, I like a bus, you know. And I'm driving that big diesel bus in Little Rock. Man, it's purring along, you know. Parents, I'm going the speed limit. Hallelujah. And, uh, of course, and, and I mean that. And uh, we drop them off at the, uh, at the game, in Ar- at the Arkansas School of, for the Deaf. And I tell Matt, hey, man, I got to go. I got to get some gas in this thing. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm going to put 60 gallons in it just to make sure we make it back. You know, so we go, we go out to find a gas station, and right at the base of the hill, uh, where the, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty rough neighborhood, actually. Right at the base of the hill was a, was a gas station. It said, diesel here. I'm like, cool. So I pulled a big old massive bus. They only had four, four places to get gas, and so the bus is taking up two of the four, right? And I pull in there, go prepay 60 bucks, I come out, I gas her up, man, I'm excited, going back up to the game, watch my daughter and the other girls play, and I start, go to start the bus, and it won't start, and I'm like, man, this is crazy, so I start again, and again, and again, finally, I said, what, Matt, this is, he says, well, it's anything, I said, no, it's perfect, it's been great, I, this is crazy, I said, let's call Mark, Mark Cantrell, so we call Mark, right, Mark, what's going on, we'll try this, try that, no, none of that worked. He said, well, I don't know what, preacher. He goes, I, I guess I'll, I'm coming to the game tonight. I said, where are you at? He said, I'll be there in an hour. I'm like, great. Great. One hour. I am sitting at a gas station in a rough neighborhood taking up two of the four. And, and this is not good. You know? So I said, Matt, you know, well, Matt actually said, let me go in and tell the guy we're going to be here a while. So he goes in and says, look, we're going to be here about an hour. And, you know, the guy's in, he's coming to the game. He's just leaving, you know, and the guy says, okay, whatever, you know. So Matt comes back out. We lift up the hood. We're looking. I do, look, do I look like somebody that knows how to fix a diesel bus? I mean, we're, we got the hood up. We're walking around. Look, we're saying things like, that looks like a, a new oil filter. Oh, look at that hose. That is a nice hose. That's literally what we're saying. We have no idea what we're doing. None. Just got the hood up. We're looking around, making all these weird statements. It's just idiots. We're stupid. We're just, look. finally, we get in the bus. I mean, it's hot. I'm missing the game. This is, this is Tuesday, church. This is after I preached Sunday. And said, boy, sometimes we just make prayer the last resort. This is after the pastor who said that. I'm sure all of you this week have been praying immediately about everything all week long. I'm sure this is my resignation letters being sent as I preach this sermon. I look at Matt ashamed, and I say, Matt, who is also, by the way, another elder in the church, just so you know. I said, you're not going to believe this. He's like, what, what, what? You got an idea? I said, yeah, I got a good idea. I'm just ashamed. 
of myself. I said, we haven't prayed. We've been here like 45 minutes. He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's pray. So I prayed. I mean, I pray. Bro, I pray. I mean, I pray a cry aloud. The guy in the gas station can hear me prayer. I mean, oh, God, I know you can do it. I know I can take this key, put it in here, and turn it on, and it's going to start, God. I know it. I claim it in the name of Jesus. We believe it, God. It's going to be awesome. You're going to do it. It's going to be great. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Whew, ready? He's like, yeah, let's go. Here it goes. You ready? Turn it over. Nothing. I'm like, man, that's okay. God, we love you anyway. It's okay. It's all good. Matt said, try it again. I said, all right. So I tried again. It starts right up. I mean, boom, 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 boom. You should have seen these two elders. We had a Holy Ghost, yes, dancing, glorified, hallelujah. The guy at the gas station was like, what in the world? All I heard Matt yell was, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed. It worked. See you, brother. We're driving off. And this guy's like, oh, that's good. Hey, hey, praise the Lord, you know. And I'm thinking, God, you're so awesome. And Matt and I, we drove off thinking, man, God's good. And I said, Matt, I don't know. I know this is like silly. I know it's just, you know, a little gas station deal. But I said, doesn't it make you realize how awesome a God we have? Why don't we pray about everything? Why doesn't everybody who gets sick call the elders of the church and say, anoint me with oil? Why does it happen like twice a year? You know what I mean? I mean, can you imagine what God can do if we would just believe him? Can I get an amen right there? Oh, listen, God wants to teach us how to have more faith. And then conclusion, number five, give it all or don't give it all. And the key word there is commitment. Give it all or don't give it all. I know many don't want to hear that. We like to straddle the fence. Someone's probably thinking, Already, we need to go to a different church next week. Pastor's lost his mind. I want to attend a church that comforts me, and no matter how I live, well, sorry, that message is just not in the Bible. It's just not in the Bible. Get this. These guys were sold out to the one true God. They had all their eggs in one basket. Listen, they were in this world, but they were not of this world. Isn't that what Jesus said in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 15? Where he said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's not saved. If he loves the world, he doesn't have the Father in him. These guys were all in, man. Hey, listen, Jesus said in James chapter 1 and verse number 8, he said, a double-minded man, a guy that's, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian on Sundays and I'm, cussing like a sailor on Mondays. I'm I'm faithful to my wife when I'm in front of her, but I'm on pornography when I'm away from her. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, I'm going to do something I haven't done in a while. I'm going to, instead of go to verse 9, I'm going to go to verse 7. Now, look what verse 7 says. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. If you're living a double life, if you're trying to have it both ways, sir, Ma'am, if you're trying to have it both ways, don't expect to receive anything of the Lord. Hey, listen, give it all or don't give it all. 
Doesn't God himself teach us in Revelation that lukewarmness, middle of the road, straddle the fence? Did I read the Bible right when it says that he wants to vomit that out of his mouth? How graphic is that? I hate vomit. Vomit is disgusting. Vomit stinks. And God says, I know. And that's what I think of you when you live two lives. One where you say you're, you believe in me. The other where you act like you don't. It's all there. It's just having the guts to preach it. You see, God has set the bar pretty high. Following Christ is like finding that one pearl of great price and finding it and saying, you know what? I'm all in. All my life is going to live for that, for that one purpose. Jesus Christ is what it's all about. So the question this text is asking us is really straightforward. And I want to give you some time during the invitation to answer it in your own heart. And that is this. Are you ready to stand for Christ? Are you ready? I'm in a tough marriage, preacher. You just don't understand. Are you ready to stand for Christ? Well, preacher, you don't understand. I, I just feel so alone in this world. I know. Are you ready to stand for Christ? Well, preacher, I'm struggling physically. I'm asking you, are you ready to stand for Christ? Stand. I mean, I have a phrase I, I, I put on the screen. I want to leave it up there for just a moment and ask you to consider it. I will stand for Christ by his grace no matter what. I will. Elijah, what do you think? I mean, think about that. How old are you? 18. Man, Elijah, you've got a lot of potential. I mean, honestly, Elijah, I'm not trying to, well, I am trying to put you on the spot. I didn't tell you this before, did I? I didn't, did I? What do you think about that? You want to do it? By God's grace. Dave, what do you want to do? That? Bucky? I do. I want to stand for Christ, Bucky, by his grace, no matter what. I mean, no matter what. It, no matter who wins the election. No matter who wins. I'm in. How about you? No matter what persecution comes, no matter what, by his grace. So what do you think? Not because not you raised by, a, forget your dad being the pastor of the church. Forget that for a while. What do you think about that? You believe that? Amen. Let's bow for prayer, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed. You know, not every sermon series is out of the book of Daniel.